season. Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. Let it breathe. Let it breathe. Yeah. Now, if you'd like to, to follow along with our text this morning, you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Um, that's, that's where we're going to be this morning, Acts chapter 9. We're in the middle of a series where we've been looking at the foundations of our denomination, the, the Foursquare Gospel Church of Canada, and what we would call inside of the Foursquare Church, we would call it the Foursquare Gospel. It's the four pillars of our denomination, and it has to do all with the person of Jesus Christ. We've looked at the first two squares of the Foursquare Gospel, the first square. Um, Barb, I don't know if I need to just click on the last column. There we go. The, uh, Jesus Christ, this area, yeah, perfect. The, the first one we looked at was the red square, the, the red cross, which represents Jesus Christ, the Savior. Then we looked at the last two, or spent the last two weeks looking at the yellow dove, which represents Jesus Christ, the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. And now this week we come to the third square, the blue cup, which is representative of Jesus Christ, the healer. And so today we're going to take a look at what it means that Jesus Christ is our healer. Now, healing and Jesus as the healer is, is seemingly, in, in some ways, some of the most basic, but also, at the same time, some of the most complicated things to understand in the story of Jesus. A big part of the reason for that is because in the ministry of Jesus, and really all throughout the Bible, there are so many people who get healed. That, that in just about every book in the Bible that, that contains stories, people are being healed. From, from the very beginning until the very end of the story, people are being healed from all kinds of things, up to and including death. And so it's basic to understand that it's God's nature to heal. That, that we look at this and we go, makes sense, it's God's nature to heal. But it's also difficult to, to get a beat on exactly how and why people are healed throughout the Bible. As, as I said a couple of weeks ago, as we looked at some different encounters Jesus had, he never healed anyone the same way twice. The, method, the methods changed. Sometimes he prayed. Sometimes he just said, be healed. Sometimes Jesus just told them to go and do something. Sometimes Jesus was right there with them. Sometimes he wasn't even in the same building. He wasn't even with the person that was healed. Sometimes he was a ways away. Sometimes Jesus was almost like a secondary part of the process of healing in a way. And, and what I mean by that is, like, there's the story of this woman who was sick. And, and she just wanted to touch Jesus' cloak. Because she knew if she could just touch Jesus' cloak, she would be healed. Jesus heals her, but Jesus isn't really looking to heal her. 
He's journeying, and, and this healing takes place, and it's almost like Jesus is, is he's the reason the healing takes place, but he's not the reason the healing took place. She went and pursued him. And Jesus, in this moment, he has to stop and figure out who it was that he, he healed. In, in the middle of a crowd, he says, who touched me? And they, they discover it was this woman. That, that's a weird one. Sometimes Jesus seemingly gives people credit and will say, your faith has made you well. Sometimes the person is almost not really involved in their healing at all or doesn't even ask to be healed. Like the blind man in John chapter 9. His healing comes out of a conversation that, that Jesus and his disciples have about him. It's not even with him. They pass by him on the street and they begin to talk about this guy and out of this conversation that happens but not, that's not a conversation with him, it's a conversation about him, he's healed. And, and so we can see that Jesus heals. But it's really hard for us to be able to understand healing. We're not given much of a roadmap or, or much of a three steps to healing, some, to healing someone kind of thing where, where we can read through scripture and see the pattern and see, okay, this is how we pray for someone to be healed and it will work every time. And then coupled with that, with, with, with the, an inability to really peg down healing in scripture, it can be really hard to reconcile our biblical understanding of healing with potentially our life experience with healing. Because my experience for praying for healing is that some of the time, when I pray, I don't see the healing I ask for. That, that sometimes I'll pray for people and they just get worse. Sometimes I pray for people, nothing happens. Sometimes I've prayed for people and they die. And that's hard to reconcile with what I can read in Scripture at times where everybody gets healed. And so we have to try and, and when we talk about Jesus Christ, our healer, it can be difficult to reconcile all of these things. Now, the comforting thing that I want to share with you this morning is that if you struggle with your success and failure rate when it comes to praying for people to be healed, and seemingly your prayers don't always work, you're in good company. The Apostle Paul also prayed for his own healing, and, and God tells him no. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about this thorn in his flesh, and there's lots of guesses at what this, this thing is referring to. But Paul says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. And he goes on to say that God essentially tells him no. The apostle Paul prays for healing. And it doesn't get healed. God doesn't, doesn't, so if you've ever prayed for somebody and, and, and you, you think, oh, and it didn't work, and you think, oh, I'm such a failure, you're in the same boat as Paul. So may that be an encouragement for you today. That you think, well, at least it's me and Paul. We're riding together. But all this to say is, is that healing is a pretty complicated thing for us to totally get our heads around. The hows and the whys and what it looks like to be healed. And so I'm not going to stand up here today and explain healing to you. I can't do that. 
I'm not going to stand up here and tell you how to pray for people to be healed and for that prayer to always work 100% of the time. I can't do that. I want to encourage you, be willing to pray for healing. As a church, we believe in healing. As a pastor, I believe in healing. And as a person, I believe in healing. I will pray for it without hesitation. But that doesn't mean that I fully understand it. I can't. But what I can do is share with you a couple principles for you today that I know to be true about healing, to help us develop a greater understanding of biblical healing and and what it means and what it doesn't mean. And so today, to do this, we're going to look at at, at kind of an odd passage to look at for healing. Um, It's not the most miraculous healing in the world, except that maybe it is, but, but we'll explore this together. But I think if you're willing, as we make our way through the passage, you will see why this passage is what we're looking at today. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 9. That's where I said we could go. So Acts chapter 9, verse 1 begins like this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Kind of a weird place to jump into a story. But what you need to know about this, if if you don't know who Saul is, Saul was a really big part of the religious establishment at the time prior to the story of of Jesus being being spread, prior to the gospel beginning to be shared. and So as people began to share the, the gospel, the story of Jesus, and people began giving their lives to Jesus, this began to cause a problem. The reason why this began to cause a problem is because inside of Jewish society, the, the religion and culture were, and government were completely interwoven together. That, that we will talk sometimes about like the separation of church and state. That, that, that was not a thing. In fact, it was the opposite. Is, is their goal was to bring those things more together. That, that there was no separation. In fact, it was we need to, to cram these two things more and more together. So as they saw this new belief system, this new, new understanding of God and grace and mercy and all of these things, as they saw it begin to take root and begin to grow, they knew that if left unchecked, this could totally upend everything. The entire culture and everything that they began to build, that they had been building for centuries. And, and so they, something needed to be done. And that something escalated very, very quickly into killing people who had converted to this religion. It wasn't the first step, but it very quickly became the step they were at. And so they they begin by killing the leaders of this new movement, and they begin by killing people who convert to this new movement. And this is where Saul comes in, because he was kind of the guy put in charge of stamping out this new movement. And as it turns out, he was good at it. And, And as it turns out, he was effective. And as it turns out, he seemingly almost enjoyed it. And so what we see here is that Saul continues to persecute the church. When it says he continues breathing out murderous threats against the disciples, he he continued to pursue people who had converted to this new faith. 
So when it says that he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Now, Damascus is, is just a, another city. Um, it was a city outside of Jerusalem and, and th- that the gospel of Jesus had made its way to and people were beginning to convert. And it says, so that if anyone, or so that, um, <clears throat> so that if anyone found there who would become or belong to the way, that, that was the name that they had for Christianity at the beginning. The pe- Christians aren't called Christians yet. At the beginning of Acts, they're known as followers of the way. And so that, that's what they're, they're referring to here, is that if, so if anyone found there who was a Christian or who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do next. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. I bet they did. I bet they stood there. That if all of a sudden, that that this wasn't an internal voice inside of Saul's head. They heard this booming voice from heaven with light flashing saying, I am Jesus. And it says they stood there with, with, with the speechless. They stood there with their mouths open. But we have this incredible moment where this voice from heaven that we find out is Jesus speaks from heaven and confronts the man who's been killing his followers. The the power and the majesty of this voice knocks Saul to the ground. And then it's this really interesting moment or conversation or, or whatever it is that you want to call this because it's obviously powerful and it's obviously terrifying. But if we go back and look at it, look what Jesus says or perhaps doesn't say to Paul or to Saul. He confronts Saul and asks him this question that he never gets an answer to. He asks him, why are you persecuting me? But then rather than going any further with Saul, he immediately just starts giving him instructions. He asks him, why are you persecuting me? Paul answers his question with a question. And then Jesus just starts giving him instructions. I guess Saul works for Jesus now. There is no reckoning. There is no punishment for all the people he has killed. There's no guilt. There's no lightning bolts from heaven. There's no anger and wrath from the Lord. There's nothing. For all the people he has killed. Just get up and go to the city and I'll tell you more when you get there. Friends, This is an amazing picture of God's grace. 
the incredible grace and mercy of God and the way that God relates to us and sees us. Saul had literally done the worst or the best, depending on how you want to say it, things that you could do to earn the absolute unequivocal wrath and judgment of God. Just a poof, and he's gone. And none of us would have batted an eye. That if, the, if this encounter would have been Saul was traveling on the road to Damascus and suddenly a lightning bolt from heaven shot down and boom, he was just gone. Wiped from the face of the earth. We would probably all go, yeah, it makes sense. That's probably what he earned. He was destroying the church. He was killing Christians. Okay, yeah. I'm good with that good one, God. Except it's the opposite of that that takes place. None of that. What a message of hope for our lives. As you look at your life and I look at my life and I look at this interaction that God has with Saul, it fills me with hope. Because I know that whatever I've done, God's willing to continue to use me. God's not going to just stop there and send a lightning bolt. If he didn't kill Saul, thank you, Jesus. But the story continues. Verse 8. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered. Now sometimes, in text, it can be hard to read inflection. That's why sometimes it's hard to communicate via email, why sometimes it's hard to communicate via text, because you can read into in whatever inflection you want. But I can tell you this about the inflection that Ananias says Lord with. He is not impressed. He is thinking that perhaps God is starting to lose it. Because he knows who Saul of Tarsus is. He's not somehow thinking like, oh, neat, I don't know who that is. Let's go. He knows immediately who this person is. He says, I've heard many reports about this man and the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. God, I don't know if you know what it is that you're saying right now. I don't know, I, I know you have, now back then the world's population wasn't as many as it was now, but even if you say, God, I know you have millions of people to keep track of. And I don't know if this one slipped through the cracks and all of that, but if you're going to ask me to go talk to him, I might need to remind you who he is. I don't want to die today. And if I go and see him, 
he's got the authority to take me to prison. And if I'm lucky, that's all that will happen to me. Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. The Lord says, I know what I'm talking about. I know who he is. Just go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food he regains his strength. Then from here, Saul becomes known as Paul, the Apostle Paul, who goes on to plant churches all over the known world and to write about two-thirds of the New Testament of the Bible. This moment is, without hyperbole, one of the most important moments in all of human history. And, it become, and it, as it becomes Paul who becomes the largest spreader of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the early years of the church. This moment matters. This moment of transformation matters. But that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about healing. And there is a story of healing here. After the encounter with Jesus, Saul is left blind, and for three days he completely has no sight. Then Ananias comes to see Saul, and he prays for him, and his eyes are healed, and his eyesight is restored. It's a physical healing that takes place. The Bible says something like scales or scabs fall off of of Saul's eyes, and he can see again. It's a pretty cool little miracle of healing. But I would say to you, and I would contend with you today, that there's an even bigger healing that takes place here that should help us understand the idea of healing on a deeper level. The healing that I want to talk about this morning, the healing that I want to look at this morning, isn't the healing of Saul's eyes. It's the healing of Saul. You see, the first thing that we need to understand about healing is that healing isn't about your physical body. The point of healing is not just to make you better. We can sometimes place healing into this box where we think that when it comes to healing, what God wants for us and for our lives is to take all of the little things or sometimes the big things that are wrong with us and just make them right. But that's... And we think that that's what healing is, that I've got something wrong with me, I need to pray to God that he will make it right, and good, then we're done. But healing isn't just about making our bodies function better. That's way, 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 way too small a lens to look at it through. You see, the story of healing in this story isn't the story of Saul's eyes. It's not somehow that what God really wanted to do in the life of Saul was to give him his sight back. It's the healing of his life. It's the healing of his soul. It's the healing of a life that he had lived in devotion to death and murder of this new religion for his old religion. 
And it's Jesus not just setting his eyesight back to the way that, you, that it used to be. It's the story of Jesus taking this man's life and transforming it back into the way that it should have been. There's these verses in the Old Testament, and actually Pastor Matt read, read some of this, this, this morning, in the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah's sharing a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And one of the things that Isaiah says about this Messiah, so what Pastor Matt read this morning, is by his stripes we are healed. And sometimes people will take a look at a verse like this and say, see, every single sickness is meant to be healed by God. It was dealt with on the cross. But when you look at the snippet of this verse in its whole context, I, I think that it, it applies to something so much bigger than just physical healing. It says, if we read verse 5 and 6, it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. These verses are talking about something so much bigger than just physical healing. It's not that somehow physical healing doesn't matter. And it's not that somehow Jesus can't heal us. But when it talks about by his stripes we are healed, it's talking about our iniquity and our sin and our future and our disobedience. The Lord laid on him all of it, and through his death on the cross, we are made right. When you look at this... Or, these verses are talking about something so much bigger than just physical healing. Physical healing is a part of the story, but it's so much bigger than that. The God who heals, Jesus Christ the healer, Jesus Christ our healer, his part in this story isn't just about making Paul or making Saul able to see again. It's the story of this man the man that Ananias is afraid of, that he's terrified of, having his life, his soul, his sin, and his awfulness healed by God. That's the healing. And for us, it's the same. Your healing isn't just about what's wrong with your physical body. Although the healing of those things may very well be part of the larger story that Jesus is telling in your life. But don't ever make the mistake of thinking about healing in just a physical way. It's so much bigger than that. But so if Jesus being our healer isn't about just somehow making our, our bodies feel better, then, then what is it about? Well, healing is about pointing people to Jesus, the Savior. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus is presented with a man who cannot walk. His friends wanted so desperately for him to get to Jesus, and the room was so crowded full of people. This was 2,000 years before COVID, so they were in the clear. But there, there was no social distancing. The, the place was so crowded, they could not get him in. And so they cut a hole in the roof, 
and they lower him down just to have a chance for Jesus to see him. Now, ultimately, if somebody cut a hole in the roof and lowered somebody in here right now, I'm guessing all, they would have all of our attention. But there's this moment where they do this and they lower this man from the roof, this paralyzed man who cannot walk. But Jesus, his initial concern is not with the fact that he can't walk. If you know the story, what does Jesus say to the man initially? He says to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. This this man who's lowered from the roof into the presence of Jesus And Jesus sees this paralyzed man and he doesn't think, well, duh. I know what he's here for. Anybody can see. They had to lower him down from the roof. I can put this one together. Be healed. Done. He doesn't, that's not how he relates to it. That's not what he sees. Because it's not just about making this man's body better and then moving on. Jesus had much deeper concerns. Jesus knows this man needed salvation more than he needed to be healed. But we see this even clearer in the moments that follow this. Jesus knows the idea that he can forgive sins. This statement that he's just made, son, your sins are forgiven. It's problematic for the people who are gathered there. Because anybody can do a little trick, but God can forgive people. And so when Jesus says, sons, your sins are forgiven, this is Jesus taking on a mantle that in the eyes of the people in that room, he does not have. He's doing something he's not entitled to do. He's doing something that is not within his rights as a mere mortal to do. And Jesus knows their heart. He knows what's going on in their minds. And so he says to the people, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, arise and take your mat and walk. Jesus says, okay, okay, I know what you're thinking. Now what's more impressive to you? If I say your sins are forgiven, or if I say, arise. Okay, well... Verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went out in the presence of all of them, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. If this man's healing was just simply about him getting up and leaving, that's what Jesus would have said. Jesus even says, this isn't the reason I'm healing him. I'm healing him so that you know that I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. It's the reason that Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit that we looked at a few weeks ago. It was not so that we could perform amazing miracles. It was not so that we could heal people. That wasn't the end. That wasn't what Jesus said. When we gave, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, it, he didn't say, go into all the world and do amazing God tricks. 
He said, go into all the world and be my witnesses. Jesus said we would be given the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives so that we could be his witnesses to spread the gospel of Jesus to the world. And so these, these miracles that we can do, the healing that we can do, is not so that people's physical lives would be better than they were. It's bigger than that. And this brings us all the way back around to Saul. Saul wasn't simply healed so that he could see again. Saul wasn't simply brought to this place where Jesus speaks to him and he loses his eyesight and then God gives it back to him and then for the rest of his days he thought, wow, wasn't that amazing that God made me able to see again? That that wasn't the story of his life. He wasn't simply healed so that he would stop killing Christians. This wasn't even to just put breaks on that part of Saul's life. That somehow, oh, well, by, by, by me taking his sight and then giving it back, maybe he'll stop killing my people. It wasn't even that. Jesus tells us the reason why he healed Saul was so that he could be the one to go and tell people about Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Savior. This man, this killer of my people, I am going to heal him so that he can go and tell people about me. He's my chosen instrument. Jesus Christ, the healer. He's the healer of our bodies. He's the healer of our souls. He's the healer of our land. He's the healer of our lives, and we all need healing. We may need physical healing, emotional healing, healing from our past, healing from our present. But we don't look for healing to simply be healed. Healing in our lives, be it physical, emotional, or spiritual, it's given to us for a reason. It's not about us. The call on the Christian life is that it's not about us. It's about pointing people to Jesus Christ, the Savior. I don't want to live in the shallows. Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie, and on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together as family we go. There's no life without you in it. I want all of you, take all of me. 